Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast, a ministry of the preaching ministry of Moberly Baptist Church in East Texas. My name is Jeffrey Davis. I'm the Marshall Campus Pastor for Moberly Baptist Church. And joining me today is the infamous Greg Martin, also co-host of the Extra Point Podcast. Today is the double co-host day on Extra Point. Greg is the pastor of congregational care at Moberly Baptist in the Longview campus. And really, you pray for everybody, though, don't you, Greg? Most uh, all campuses and, and a few folks in between. So Don't yeah, discriminate. Care so. for everybody. Pray for everybody. And let me just say what a pleasure it is to, to be able to do this without Paul cause so we can talk about him That's right, through this yeah. entire podcast. So That's that should right. It be, should be fun today. I hope it is, and I hope maybe our listeners can learn something new about Paul uh, that he hasn't shared on a Sunday morning. The, the story, though, about the trapping uh, on Sunday was pretty funny. And uh, if our listeners haven't heard it yet, I always would like to encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon uh, from Sunday, and then come back and, and listen to the Extra Point podcast. I really think it'll help you go to the next level, take a next step in your spiritual development. But he told a hilarious story about trapping a skunk, well, unsuccessfully trapping a skunk, I guess, uh, in his sermon about the love of money. Now, Greg, can you, if you, if I told you those two things, trapping a skunk and the love of money, and that's all you knew about the message from Sunday, could you put it together? Well, um, I would say by instinct, but that would be too obvious a joke about the skunk, so I won't, I won't go there. So no, that's that only Paul Coleman can bring those two things together to teach you something that you need to know, and we do need to know some things about money. We, we were just talking a minute ago that sometimes th- these are things that we don't want to hear, but we sure find out that they're good for us to hear these things. So we yep. appreciate Paul yep. uh, teaching us about smelly skunks and money. That's right. And, and wrapping up a sermon series called Entangled. Greg, what's been your perspective on this series about sins that so easily entangle us? Well, I think the reality is that there's nobody that's above being entangled. You know, we it's the hardest thing in these sermons was to not sit there and go, well, boy, so-and-so needs to hear this, but to really look inwardly and say that all of us have the potential to be entangled by sins, and and that's what Satan loves to do, is just get us tripped up where we're not being effective for the kingdom. And so um, uh, we all have that potential. We all have to guard against it, and we all have to be conscious that it's something that... that, uh, that's being thrown at us every day. Culture is the ultimate entanglement to me because it's throwing all these things that Paul has been talking about are being just thrown in our face through culture right. these days. Right. Yeah, the, the thread in all of these is when they show up in the Bible and the warnings about these particular sins show up in the Bible, and this is our link back to the skunk, there's always a mention of a trap or a snare. Mm-hmm. And uh, even from where we started this series in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, talking about running the race and throwing away, throwing aside uh, the sins that so easily entangle us that, or ensnare us, um, that word uh, entangle um, literally meant to be surrounded by as if you could not move forward. And so it is helpful for us to be able to identify these things that are really holding us back from becoming who God wants us to be uh, and avoiding these pitfalls, these traps, these snares. And I had never put that together. Uh, you read these things you know, here and there as you're studying the Bible, but then to put them all in four weeks and then to say, wow, each of these specifically mentions a trap uh, that we could fall into or be caught by, be baited into, you could say, uh, that it's almost uh, uh, something that we really ought to 
think twice about uh, when we go about our lives that God's plan is always better. And, and, and Paul shared that a little bit yesterday, that the, the trap is baited. Right. But you go into it, whoever's uh, approaching that trap is fooled into thinking that what's in that trap is better than what's not. And and you're right. God God has a plan for us, and His plan is always best. But sometimes our carnal mm-hmm. human self, mm-hmm. we start thinking that maybe I know better than He does. So, yeah. yeah. You know, <clears throat> when uh, I was a kid, the most desired professions for kids, things they wanted to be when they grew up, were doctors and lawyers and these things that we always thought those are the people that make the most money. And so even from an early age, we thought, wow, it's all about how much money you make. It's why the love of money so easily entangles us. You know what the most desired professions are today? My guess would be something in the helping professions because of the generational changes that have okay. occurred. But I don't know what would you what you so, know clearly. What Oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I baited you into this, Greg. <laughs> I, I've been trapped. <laughs> so the most desired, the top three most desired professions are YouTuber. Whatever that is. Video blogger, which is closely related, and blogger. In other words, people want to wear their pajamas and do whatever it is that they do, <laughs> not have to get out and get dressed. So, But here's the crazy thing. It's all driven by the same motive. Because it really is about how, how to make money. And there's this crazy phenomenon these days to people, and I'll just put us in the same generation for today, right? Can we do that? <laughs> I appreciate that. People in our generation, Greg. Uh, we don't quite get it, but... People who, uh, who who get Instagram famous, they become influencers, right? It's all about marketing and advertising, and it's really all about showing what they have or don't have uh, in a way that makes people think something about them that may not necessarily be true. Uh, but it's about flaunting and you know just a, the appearance of having a lot of money, and then that sort of leads to becoming having influence on people who want that life, and then you get more money, and it's a cycle. That builds. I don't know when the bubble, the digital bubble, is going to break. Um, but wow, for that to be the top three desired professions, um, I think whenever I get to the age that I really need a lot of doctors, I'm probably going to be wondering where they all are. Yeah. And they're all on YouTube, I guess. The, they'll, yeah. You'll just Google, you know, how do yeah. I cure this disease and, and yeah. do it that way. So you used an interesting word there, the appearance of. Yeah. And I think that's so much of what social media seems to be. And I, I admit, I'm I don't get it all because of my age. I'm 27 and I don't get it all. <laughs> but um, it's all about how many likes can I get? Right. What kind of appearance can I put out there that somehow looks better than the appearance that you've got? Or yeah. it, it just seems like a facade at, at yeah. so many levels that if right. I can just fool people into thinking I've got my act together, then, you know. And it's not new. You know, it's on a digital platform today, but really what we're talking about is that insatiable desire to have stuff right? in comparison to maybe the, per- the person next door or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, keeping mm-hmm. up with the Joneses kind of thing. Um, this uh, desire sends us deeper into sin rather than righteousness. And so it's something we ought to be wary of and, and to be mindful of in our own lives. How have you noticed in your life, maybe in some different experiences, uh, have you become keenly aware of what you have and don't have? Yeah, I, that's a... 
you think about that a lot. What does money mean to you? How? What is your perspective of it? Because that renders so much. I was Betsy and I had the a day off about two weeks ago, and we don't tell anybody this. We got out enough to go and uh, <laughs> go through the parade of homes. Beautiful homes, magnificent homes and fixtures. And I mean, the bathrooms were nicer than our house. Right. I mean, just, yeah. and it's so much fun to go through it and see what you could have and all this stuff. So that kind of gives this, I don't have this. I wish I had that. It, right. it kind of feeds that in us if we're, right. if we're not careful. And then I had to stop and think, you know, a few years ago, Katie and I were blessed to go with the youth ministry to Malawi. Mm. And so on, on the other hand, I've seen these people who have no indoor plumbing. They have a hut with one one room. They are eating rat on a stick. I mean, yep. it's and so perspective is so, so important in these things to be able to say, uh, yeah, there's some things I don't have, but there's there's so many things that I do. And if we'd spend more time, I wrote down a quote I saw from Larry Burkett, who's kind of a financial yeah. guru through the years. And he his quote was, are we grateful for what we have rather than resentful for what we do not have? Wow. And I thought as I go through the pray to homes, if I'm not real careful, I'm going, why don't I have that? I wish I had this, you know, this aspect. And it, But then I have to stop and go, okay, I can compare myself to billions of people on this planet who would just love to have what I have. So perspective is helpful to me. How can a Christian today, 2020, you know, all the things that have happened in our world, how can a Christian today, um, and we could even just say an East Texan Christian to kind of cultural, uh, make it, make it culturally specific for us. But how would you counsel a Christian today to have a correct perspective on money? Wow. Um, I'll throw some things in. I know you got some good thoughts on this, Jeffrey. I, I go back to a verse that doesn't even relate to this, but I think it, is, it gives us perspective. There's a verse in Philippians where it's talking about Jesus coming down from heaven, and it says, Jesus did not consider equality with God mm-hmm. something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He had such a proper perspective of what real riches and real value was that he valued us more than he valued having everything that heaven had to offer him as the son of God. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me think my perspective needs to be that too. What's really important, what's really important is, is, is people. What's really important is my relationship with the Lord. It's just, you know, we're thrown into a culture. You're swimming upstream if that's your perspective. If your perspective is, I love the Lord more than anything else. And Paul talked about this yesterday. Is our perspective going to put God on the throne or is it going to put money and riches and security and a big 401k and all these things on, on the throne? Uh, or are we going to be able to keep our perspective such that we recognize that we want to value what God values in life? And I, again, we are the same generation, but different portions of that same generation. Right. So from your perspective, what would you say are some things that would help somebody who's in their, you know, early teens like you are to <laughs> to uh, have a proper perspective? Yeah. So the word Paul used yesterday is the same word that the Apostle Paul used in, in Timothy in the letter that we discussed uh, uh, in as a chapter six of First Timothy. And uh, when he says contentment... Mm-hmm. And godliness is, with godliness is great gain. Mm. And to me, that's the key, and that's the perspective. In fact, I had a, a college student, a graduate student, approach me after the service on Sunday and said, you know, I, I really am making decisions about my career, et cetera, so that I can make enough money to pay off the debt I've gone into for school. Is that wrong? And, uh, and the question was, 
well, what is the motive? And uh, or the really answer was, what's your motive? Because if the motive is I want to make money to just have more stuff and I'm never going to be content with what I have. And, and not only do I want to pay off my debt, but I want to rack up all the savings and this and that. Uh, then if the motive, there's nowhere in there that I love God and want to be obedient to his will, then there's probably an issue there. And you may be entrapped or ensnared or entangled with the love of money. Uh, because money isn't just the issue, right? It's the love of money. It's what's in your heart. And so for me, I always try to point people back to exactly what Paul did in his message on Sunday, which was talking about that word contentment. And where do you start? What's your motive? Um, so yeah, that was my counsel to that person was really consider, and that's not something I can answer for them. What do they love? What is their life about? You know, if, uh, if they had nothing else left, what would be enough for them? And, uh, and if you have nothing but money, it's not going to last. If you have nothing but God, you're good mm. for eternity. And so, you know, it's something about uh, the word contentment that really, I think, speaks to uh, people in a way that they don't think of very often. Hey, Jesus said it well when he said, where your treasure is, there, there your heart's heart. going to be there. Those two things are so intimately entwined. And so if we treasure a relationship with God and we treasure, you know, um, uh, reaching other people and sharing God's love and being generous and being kind and these kinds of things, you're going to see life a little bit differently than the person who treasures, like mm -hmm. say, a big 401k or the corner office or, or these things that, that are outwardly success signs to our world, yeah. but certainly not, you know, Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. He wasn't, he didn't say head to the corner, but not to say that he can't use it. Uh, people who have wealth, again, it's, it's a heart set. I, I mentioned to you earlier, a book by um, Ken Blanchard and, and he wrote it really about Truett Cathy, the Chick-fil-A guy. And it's a great book called the generosity factor. I really encourage you to read it because what it says to me is sometimes we think if you're rich, you're bad. Right. But he was rich and did, did so many good things because his perspective was right, because he found his contentment not in how much money he had or how many chicken sandwiches he sold. He found his contentment in, in, in loving the Lord and serving Him and being kind and helpful to other people. Right. So that idea of contentment is a great idea. Yeah. You remember the uh, person in the New Testament by the name of Barnabas. Mm. And when you think of Barnabas, the first thing you probably think of is the son of encouragement, mm -hmm. right? That was his, he was known as the encourager. He traveled with Paul. Uh, but when Barnabas first shows up, it's at the onset of the church, right after Pentecost in Acts chapter three or four. <clears throat> and you can fact check me on that, but I think it's one of those chapters. Right. And, uh, and he's the first person to initiate this movement of generosity mm -hmm. in the church. And uh, he had some property which meant he's probably pretty wealthy, and he sold it. And he made that those funds available so that anybody who was in need, their needs could be met. And so the church kind of became this organization uh, to complement the organism uh, where people were having their needs met. And there's this really incredible, miraculous thing that happened because of people who had wealth. So then the question becomes, and I think you probably would have a really good answer for this, Greg, because, you know, I've never asked a question you didn't have a great answer for. Some of them are right. <laughs> Some of them are Accidentally. right. Accidentally. Where do you draw the line? Somebody today in, in 2020 in East Texas who's 
you know, think about our, our a lot of guys who are, are kind of chasing the oil field and trying to, you know, make the money because they want to provide for their family. Well, that's a great motive, you know, or to pay off debt, you know, and they've been to financial peace and they heard the borrower is a slave to the lender. And, and so they are motivated by making more money because part of it's to do what God wants them to do. Where's the line? Where do you draw it? I think that's an interesting thing because it's like you said, there, there there's not... A dollar figure that's the answer. It's not, you know, if you're making 50000 a year, then that's the line. It's its different for you and for me. I mean, clearly it's different for Truett Cathy than it is for me. Yeah, sure. But yeah. It, it is such a heart issue that if I think it's a regular checkup of your heart that says, why does this mean what it means to me? Does it mean something to me because, again, I'm placing my security in it? Does it mean something because it makes me look... You know, Paul talked about the fear of men here recently because I care about what people think about me. So I've got to have a bigger car, bigger bass boat, whatever it might be. But it, but yet, you know, people who have those things, but they don't have a hold on the person. Right. I think Dave Ramsey says somewhere in there, he goes, I, I want you to own your house, not your house to own you. It's that yeah. concept of uh, is your priority, is your value found Outside of Jesus Christ is your value found outside of of uh, being the person He's called you to be. He's called us to be generous, but He's called us to provide for our families. All these things He's not called us to be lazy right. or to uh, be slothful, but He's called us to love Him first, and then all these other things He says will be added to you. And for for one person it might be, you know, a half million dollar house, and for another it might be a fifty thousand dollar house, and they are just as content just as happy serving the Lord, loving the Lord. And there's not a, a comparison or a contrast, but sometimes we want to do that. The person in the $50,000 house can't be as neat a person as the person in the half-million-dollar house. But that's skewed thinking. That's not thinking the way Jesus thinks about people. So I don't know that I answered your question, but it's you just such an did. individual uh, question to ask yourself. Yeah, and... You know, there's probably some great equalizers, um, some some things that we could encourage people to do and think uh, that really it doesn't matter how much you make or how much you have. But in, in fact, one of those uh, I think about, and I'm probably going to get it wrong the way it's exactly phrased, but a lot of people um, are still coming around to the idea that we have these questions that kind of guide our personal development at Moberly called life-changing questions. Mm -hmm. It's part of our value system. You know, we have our mission and we have our uh, our values, our five top values. And then we have these questions that are just really supposed to help guide people. And one of those questions, you woke up every day and asked yourself this question. It would probably change a lot about you. But the question is, am I living, am I, I think it's, am I making decisions today in my life like God owns everything? Mm -hmm. And there may be a different phrasing for that, but uh, it really is about how do you approach every single day? Uh, as if God owns everything. Mm. That that Psalm, Psalm twenty four one says, "The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, 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 thereof." It's a, it's a huge difference between being believing that I'm the owner and I'm in what the old language would call a steward. Talk about know? that. Well, you know the. Uh, Ownership implies that I can decide what I want to do with it because I get to be the judge of that. But wow. stewardship implies that I'm a manager. I, I think in terms of these days, if I got several friends who are uh, asset managers, I guess financial planners. They so if somebody comes to them and says, 
here's my money. Would you help to invest it wisely so that it's it's uh, used for good purposes, but that it gets a good return? And you know, it goes back to Jesus's parable when he he gave the three servants, uh, the the king gave the three servants the the different amounts of money, mm-hmm. and and two of them in, uh, went out and invested it and really tried to do what they thought the master would do with it, and the third one just buried it in a hole. But it, it, he. The sense had to be, it's not mine, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go out here and use it the way that I think my master would. And so, you know, do we ask ourselves that at the you know at the end of each day? It's a great diagnostic question to say, God's given me a home, He's given me cars, He's given me uh, food, He's given me uh, uh, you know salary, all these things. Am I using those things in a way that pleases Him, or am I using those things in the way that pleases me, regardless of what He thinks? Mm-hmm. What spiritual disciplines do you think uh, would you encourage people to to practice right now that they could start doing today that would help uh, them avoid the trap or the snare of the love of money? Mm. I, you know, I, I think it starts with your Bible. I mean, you know, if you if you read. If you just read the Gospels and you see what Jesus cares about, he never was really worried about making a buck. He, he right. cared about people. So you, to get in there and just understand what Jesus, you know, we, the old phrase, WWJ, what would Jesus do? So right. understanding that. I think go back and read Proverbs is a great place to start to understand God's perspective on riches and money and how we handle these things. People act as if this is a big shock that God cares about how we handle our money, but it's like every aspect. He cares about every aspect of our life, and money is such a big part of our life in terms of you know trying to survive and all those kinds of things. And so, I think Proverbs is another good place to start. And I think spending time with with believers who have that mindset and value is important. You know, you can hang around with the big dogs that are again. I hate to use the term looking for the corner office because that's not necessarily a bad thing, but who have a different uh, priority scale than what Jesus had, or you can surround yourself with people who have that same kind of a priority mindset. And like I say, I know people who have a lot of money who have that mindset, and I know people who don't seem to have very much money and they have that mindset, both equally happy in the Lord. So, hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty practical, you know, how to just start every day with the Scripture. Mm-hmm. And uh, asking yourself maybe the question like we talked about earlier, your life-changing question, uh, how am I living today? What decisions am I making that reflect that God owns everything? How would someone, Greg, who doesn't make a lot of money, practice the spiritual discipline of tithing? Mm. Well, you probably know where I'm going to go with this because this is one of the things dear to my heart. I love Financial Peace University because what it teaches you is you got to have a plan. And and that plan has to put God first. And and Dave Ramsey and, and the teachings of that, there's nothing magic about that course, but it's a great one. But what it basically says is I've got the purpose in my heart that God's more important to me than anything else. And one of the ways I show my love to Him is the way that I give some of my resources back for His work. And He takes it and multiplies it like the bread and the, lo- uh, the loaves and the fishes that He did. But, so, but, but in order to do that, you've got to have a game plan. And so especially if you're having a hard time making ends meet, you've got to be able to lay out a, a budget that says, this is how I'm going to spend my money. This is how I'm going to be wise with it. This is how I'm going to accomplish what I know God wants me to accomplish with my money. And I used to think that was just for poor people. 
And what I've realized is it's for everybody because somebody who's got making a million dollars a year, God holds them accountable for how they use their resources just as much as he does the guy that's barely scraping by. So um, I think learning to budget, but understanding that your budget has to put God first is, is a great place to start there. And like I said, I, I highly recommend that people do something like Financial Peace University, if not that at all. I know you guys have had some great experiences here. What's been your experience in, in trying to reach the financial goals that you and your family have? I've learned that it takes longer than you think mm-hmm. <laughs> to right. reach financial an goals. An eternity sometimes. Uh, yeah, an eternity maybe. <laughs> um, especially every time you have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and then as they start to grow, they they tend to cost more. I think you know, we only mm-hmm. have one going into kindergarten. I can only imagine <laughs> the co- the college years are going to bring. But early on, uh, we did make that decision to try to honor God with our finances. And uh, and even though I was in ministry, I didn't know I didn't understand much about finances. And and uh, Jill and I found ourselves in a couple of financial predicaments. And you know, being the great spiritual leader she is, she said, "We're going to financial peace." <clears throat> and I said, "I said I don't need anybody to tell me what to do with my money." And uh, and I tell that story, and I that's probably the exact phrase uh, because it just sell it just it just shows how ridiculous I was. Um, and and I think most people live in that where they go, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do with my money. But if they really took a hard look at it, like I had to do um, in our younger years, our first year of marriage, I realized pretty quickly that was just prideful and boastful, and it was untrue. I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and so I agreed to go to one session of Dave Ramsey. You know, you know how crazy this is. You know, I, I can't believe how hard-headed I was. And <clears throat> had he not been funny... I think I probably would have <laughs> just skipped it He's all. He's got again. a good sense of humor. A good sense of humor. It was hilarious, and uh, but not only that, he talked about how quickly people turned around their finances when they applied his principles, and it hooked me. So I go, okay, let's do this. We'll do the course. So we went through the Dave Ramsey course, and um, uh, and just decided, okay, if I'm going to let somebody tell me what to do with my money, and I'm going to try something different, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do it their way. I'm not going to try to hold anything back. I'm not going to try to justify my own, you know, wants and desires in this. And we're just going to see what happens. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, we haven't lost anything. Well, it worked. And uh, and <clears throat> we did things like we had a garage sale to kind of build up our emergency fund. And we started selling stuff. And once you, once people start handing you money, you start <laughs> thinking about how how many other things you could sell. <laughs> we were, stop before you get to the kids. I know, right? We were walking in the house going, I haven't sat on that chair in a while. Let's, <laughs> let's see how much we can get for it, you know? And uh, and then we built up our emergency fund. And then uh, God provided for our family in terms of uh, jobs and and, uh, and in other ways. And, and, man, we were able to pay off our school debt and pay off. Uh, and we did have that moment where we got to call Dave Ramsey, which I mm-hmm. never thought I would be that guy, right? But we uh, we called Dave Ramsey, and uh, we were actually in the parking lot of Moverly Baptist Church, wow. the Longview campus, <laughs> behind the office, sitting in Jill's Nissan Sentra, and uh, and uh, which was old and you know paid for, but paid for. Yeah, yeah it, it was our Dave Ramsey car, which I know he hates when people <laughs> say that, but it was. And uh, so <clears throat> anyway, we were sitting in there. I never forget it. This was. A decade ago now, about you know, and uh, and we finally got through on the radio station and and uh, got to do our debt-free scream. Um, but what that set off was a series of conversations and decisions. It was really a lifestyle change for us, where we looked at things differently. 
And I'll tell you how I've developed spiritually the most in that. It's not just that I learned how to do money or that we became regular givers uh, to, the, to God through the church. It was Jill is generous. It's built into her. Mm-hmm. It's her DNA. I'm not. I'm a miser, right? I don't want to. But what Jill's done and what God's used her in my life to do is loosen my grip on stuff. Mm. And, uh, and I'm not there yet, but every day is like a new opportunity for me to learn generosity through Jill. And uh, she's just such a generous and giving person. Uh, and I've stopped saying no as much as I can, unless it just comes out without me <laughs> knowing it. But it's been so fun to watch God work through her. And, uh, and I guess us too, you know, as a couple, but um, that really, and you mentioned this earlier, the book, The Generosity Factor, uh, and I haven't read it. I will now, I'm going to pick it up. But, uh, but uh, I think that one thing, has really transformed my life personally. And I think that's an awesome question for even connect group leaders uh, in our connect groups at Moberly to ask at a group setting is what what's maybe been the most important spiritual growth moment you've had related to money? Mm. Just a, It could be a different for everybody. Right? Mm. Yours is probably different. Do you no. remember yours? Wow. Um, I remember one time... Um, this has probably been 30, 35 years ago that uh, my mother gave Betsy and I $100 for Christmas, and we prayed about it, and we gave that $100 to a missionary. Wow. And I'd, I'd love to tell you we do that stuff all the time. It's <laughs> yeah. probably a one-off moment for us. But um, the feeling that you get when you feel like you're being like Jesus, because Jesus wow. was such a giver. He yeah. loved people and loved to pour into them. And it wasn't about money for him. It was about meeting needs and to feel like, you know, we've done, yeah, I remember that there was a knock on our door just a few months ago and we opened the door and there was Jill and the kids <laughs> with, a, with a bucket of strawberries <laughs> yeah. just to give us. And it was oh. such a kind thing to do. It, you don't have to give yeah. millions away. You just have to be faithful with God's yeah. given you, and it blesses people so much. And yeah. I, I know that's y'all's heart. And it's you. You change the world when you're generous and kind, because the world wants to know what's Jesus like. And when we're kind and when we're generous, you know, uh, we're giving them the taste of the real Jesus. Yeah. So here's uh, what I love about this conversation and where it went. The, the sermon series is about avoiding sins that so easily entangle us. And most of the world sees the church as only talking about how bad people are and how mm-hmm. sinful people are and how messed up the world is. But the reality is, and you're exactly right, we are holders of this incredible good news message that it's not just about don't do bad. It's about look at the better way, mm-hmm. which is Jesus Christ. Every single time he's the better way. And it's so encouraging me, to me to hear your stories and, uh, and just to talk more about what it looks like for people to become generous, to avoid being ensnared or entangled with the love of money. And so I wonder what would happen if our church unleashed and became generous. And in fact, maybe just for the last question of the day, from your perspective, having been in our stewardship ministry for a number of years prior to your current role, what kind of things could happen if 100% of the people at Moberly gave a tithe? Mm. It would be it would be mind-boggling what we could accomplish because there's there's a I mean you just 
take it from locally to the world, you could we could bless the parts of Longview that are having a hard time. And I'm not talking about, you know, just giving away stuff and stuff like that. I'm talking about really going in and investing in infrastructure and, and really changing, uh, not for one month, one bill, but for changing people's um, trajectory of their family by helping them get stable and get strong in their family financially and be able to be self-sufficient, which I think is the great thing. Mm. Uh, the greatest thing to for a family be able to go, we can make it, we can do this with God's help, we can do this. So, you know, local community kinds of things. There are people in Texas that are starving. There are people around the world who don't have Bibles. There are church plants that need to take place in places like Africa. We could invest in in the the the, the literally tens of thousands of people that are coming to know Christ in Africa and, and discipleship and those kinds of things. Moberly could be a world force if everybody tithe. And that sounds like a money answer, but the thing that would go along with giving the tithe is your heart's going to be changed. Absolutely, Your heart's going to be so different when you get to be a part of this kind of thing. And, and I, tithe would be the beginning point because people would fall in love with doing good things that God has provided for them to do, and they'd go, I can't wait for the next project. I can't wait for the next ministry. People's lives would be changed. Wow. That's an incredible thought and vision. And we'll be praying that God uses His Amen. Word uh, to kind of just help people loosen the grip on mm-hmm. on the love of money and uh, become people who love God more and mm-hmm. His mission more. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Extra Point Podcast. As always, if you have further questions or you'd like to ask even about other topics uh, or issues that we address at Moberly Baptist Church or from the Bible, you can email extrapoint at moberly.org. And for now, we'd like to invite you to come and visit one of our campuses. If you haven't been coming in person, we've got some great, safe environments, opportunities for worship in particular, August the 16th. We are adding worship gatherings on both of our campuses. We're bringing kids ministry back. It's going to be a great day of celebration. You won't want to miss it. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that if you're not already. Or maybe just invite you to invite somebody to come with you to experience it and to hear the gospel. Thanks for tuning in today. Tune in again next week for another episode of the Extra Point Podcast. We'll see you later.